An ambassador is a diplomatic official who is sent out to be a representative of their sender. Uh, so many countries in the world have ambassadors that are sent to other countries, and, and everything that they say or do should be representative of their sending country. Their own personal ideals and values aren't what's important when they go out. It is what their country's ideals and values that are there, and they're there to represent them. Uh, today we're going to be introduced to the disciples again. We've kind of seen them just following Jesus around for the most part. We haven't really seen them do much other than just be there. But now we're going to see them sent out into the world as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Uh, and our account today reminds us that God's still sending us out today to be his ambassadors. We're not given the exact same missionary strategy that they had. We're not given the, the power and authority to to, to do these crazy miracles that you're going to see them do, amazing miracles, but we are given the same message, the same gospel message. We're sent out to proclaim the message of the gospel. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Please join me as we read God's word. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal and he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bread, or no, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for giving it to us, Lord. May we hunger and thirst for it as we hunger and thirst for food. It is the bread of life. It is the word. God, it is our sustaining grace. May we see it as such. May we not ignore it or explain it away. Lord, it is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates into our soul to divide it, to, to, to show the hidden things that are in our minds and in our hearts, Lord. God, may we, may we hear your word today and be changed from the inside out so that we can go and share your word with the world. We love you, praise you, and thank you, and amen. So today we're going to see three things that followers of Christ are sent out to do. The first is followers of Christ are sent out to charge the world, to charge the world. Verse 1, I'll read again. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Again, here's where we see the 12 disciples being transformed into the 12 apostles, big A apostles. Uh, these are our special men that were sent out to be the founders of the church. We are all little A apostles, meaning we are sent out ones to go share the gospel. But there was a group, the 12 disciples, obviously minus Judas and plus uh, Matthias and Paul being added as apostle to the Gentiles. These men were given special abilities to found the church, to show that their message was true. Uh, they were given power and authority, we're told here, and that power is the ability to do something, but authority is the right to do it. You need both in order to be able to be effective in 
the ministry that they were sent out to. Can you imagine the weight that they must have felt? Jesus is sending them out to do what he's been doing. So they've been watching him heal people, cast out demons, and he says, hey, you're going to go do what I just did. I cannot imagine that weight on their backs as they were about to go out. Something else we need to kind of consider here, it's really a nice little teaching on the side, that Luke, being the doctor, um, I love it, he, he distinguishes demons and disease. Not, so there, although there are demonic uh, diseases, sat- satanic diseases, we see Job afflicted by Satan with boils. We do see that that is the case. Not all disease is directly demonic. Yes, all sin originated with Satan and demons, but the sin of mankind has also affected our world to where it groans. So not all, we don't want to give Satan and his demons more credit than they deserve. We bring a lot to the table ourselves, friends. We, we brought a lot of sin ourselves, but it did originate there. Moving on to verse 2, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Matthew clarifies, if we look at it, there's two parallels. Matthew and Mark both discuss the same account. Uh, Matthew clarifies uh, that, that, we, that he goes, he sends them out to the lost sheep of Israel at this point, not to the Gentiles yet. And Mark tells us that they go out two by two. And I want us to think a little bit about the disciples. And we, we went through the disciples a few months ago, whenever Jesus had called them. Actually, it's been, been quite some time ago now. We've been in Luke. This is, I think, number 35, I think, maybe something like that. Um, and we're, we're on chapter 9. We've got, we've got a little way to go. Um, but if you remember, if you recall back then, we talked about the different disciples and just how interesting his motley crew was. We saw Matthew. Matthew was what? a tax collector. He was a Jew, but he was a tax collector, which is kind of like an oxymoron. He was a Jewish tax collector. He, he actually taxed his own people on behalf of Rome to get rich. But there was also a guy named Simon the Zealot. Anybody remember what the Zealots did? They were, they were zealous about Israel, and they hated Rome. And they would actually, many of them would carry shanks, which were knives, and they would actually assassinate those who were Roman sympathizers, or those who were Roman leaders, and then kind of run off. So you just wonder if Jesus put those two as the two that went out. You just wonder, Jesus had that way of working, where he put the two, you know, two most likely to, to not get along and put them together. But we don't know, that's all speculation. But I just, you know, just think it'd be interesting just to watch them go along the way and talk about their past. Um, but after, and, and in our churches, sometimes we have people in our churches, let me think about Saul, who, you know, was saved, Paul, uh, you know, I mean, they were scared to death of him whenever he first came. You know, Barnabas had to kind of be like, come on, fellas, like this guy's really saved. He's been chosen by God. You know, in our churches, sometimes we have people that were like, I don't want to go to church with that person. Look at their past. We need to be forgiving because God can do the same in lives today that he did in the life, life of Paul and the life of Simon the Zealot as well. So may we show grace to people and realize that we would be just as lost without Christ ourselves. It's important to know that the real work that was sent here, and a lot of pastors will preach this, I mean, they'll just hammer in on this healing and casting out demons and make a big fanfare about that. But that's not the thrust of Jesus' message. That's just to confirm that they are sent by God. The message is the kingdom of God, which is the gospel. And, and we see these actually parallel. Luke 9, 6 actually says preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Uh, which, so we, we see the parallel between the kingdom of God and the gospel. The actual, actual reason Jesus is sending these, these, these men out is not to do miraculous things. That's just to confirm their message. He's sending them out to charge people to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Just like we're not here to serve coffee and snacks. We're here to preach the gospel. Uh, you know, we're, we're not here to entertain with our music. We're here to preach the gospel. 
We, we pray that God is glorified through hospitality, and we pray that God is glorified through hopefully quality music being lifted up to the Lord. But our message is the gospel. Repent and be saved. Turn to Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And that is what they were to do as well. These men were to go and preach the gospel to a lost and sinful world. In the parallel account as well in Matthew, Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Preaching the gospel to an evil world is not an easy task. We are sheep, but there are wolves all around us. Jesus gives this interesting command to his disciples. We are to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. What does it mean to be wise as a serpent? What, what does that really mean? Well, serpents are viewed as crafty or shrewd in Genesis 3.1. Uh, this, this does not mean that Jesus is calling you to do something sinful or something wrong or to compromise your morals in order to reach someone. Many today, frankly, a lot of pastors today, loosely called pastors, are doing that, are, are compromising their, the, the, the Bible. They're compromising morality. They're pro- compromising holiness to try to reach people, and that's not We'll talk about that in a little while. That's not the way to do it. That is sinful. But what he's saying is we need to understand our enemy. We need to understand Satan himself. In order to understand your enemy, you have to think like your enemy thinks. Well, what, how is he going to hit me? If we're looking at warfare, what, what do generals do? They think about what's the next move of the other general. And that's how we are to fight. This is a spiritual battle that we don't necessarily see. There's a lot of things behind the scenes that we are just completely oblivious to what Satan is doing behind the scenes. And this is interesting. In our growth group today, we talked about snares or traps. And I was wondering if, if Jim or uh, Jonathan Bowling or whoever else spoke, uh, if they were reading my notes before this, because this was something I was talking about. Also, Brother Roger. So First Peter 5, 8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That is the world we live in with Satan seeking to destroy us as we do ministry. We must realize and understand that he seeks to destroy us. He seeks to render our ministry useless, to our lives useless. He wants our children. He wants us. He wants those around us to be ineffective and to not be bringing others to a saving knowledge of him. You know, we, we, we're entering the Halloween season. A lot of controversy there, I'm sure, but you know, in this, we see these cartoonish-like devils, or even some that look super evil. Uh, in some neighborhoods I've driven through, there's some that I'm like, wow, like, dude, like, that's scaring kids. Like, let's not do that. Um, but that's kind of, we, we have this idea that Satan's going to look like that. He's going to look like this, got a pitchfork, and he's got horns. We don't see that in the scriptures. Actually, here's how Satan looks today, most for the most part, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as what? An angel of light. An angel of light. He's beautiful. He's actually, he was one of the highest of God's created beings. And that's why he wanted to be God. So we think about, oh, well, he's going to look ugly and he's going to look like an ogre or he's going to look like this. No, no, Satan looks pretty. And his preachers are pretty as well. His preachers preach a pretty message how you don't have to repent. You can live the way you want to live and have your best life now. Even those like, such as Andy Stanley, who now 
has become a false gospel preacher. I don't like to call people out, but this has become a huge issue with his recent conference called the Unashamed Conference, in which he has said, you, homosexuality is okay. It's okay to not repent of sin. He's become a widespread peddler of a false gospel that you can live a relatively moral life and be okay and not believe in the word of God. Here's what Galatians 1, 6 through 9 says about those who preach repentance is not necessary for salvation. Galatians 1, 6 through 9 I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, a gospel without repentance, a gospel without Christ, right? Note that there is not another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be what? Accursed. That's a tough word. And as we said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you, that you received, let him be a curse. He, he wants to make sure you didn't miss it the first time. You see, God cares about the gospel. He cares about the true gospel. And what does the gospel say? It says Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Right? He came, he died on the cross for our sins, he rose from the dead three days later, and now he's at the right hand of the Father. What does he require to come to him? Humility and repentance. They're necessary. Without humility and repentance, you have no salvation. But we have many out there that are preaching this easy gospel. Believe in G the Jesus you want him to be. Um, you, you can create your own idol. Nothing different than breaking the first two commandments that we talked about today in growth group as well. Be shrewd in who you learn from and listen to, my friends. There is so much garbage out there. And everybody with an internet connection can podcast whatever they want to. And all these people, just because they get to be quote-unquote renowned in Christianity does not mean they're preaching the true gospel. But what does it mean to be an in innocent as a dove? Well, doves are characterized by purity and innocence. They're listed as one of the clean animals in Leviticus 14.22. As we work into the Lord, we're not to be stained or polluted by this world. We see that time and time again in the letters of Paul. Be unstained, as well as Peter. Moving on to verse 3. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. We see a huge contrast in this sending out and the sending out in Luke 22, 35 through 38. So don't take this as, well, anytime I go out and do something, I just need to not be prepared. Don't need to think about anything, just go out. No, this is a unique calling for these men because these men, 10 of the 11, are going to be martyrs for the faith. These men, got, they have to be ready to fully rely on the providence of God. They're going to go out into some really bad situations and end up in some very precarious situations. This is their training ground, their boot camp. They're to, they're to learn to rely on the providence of God. It's important to know as we see this that Jesus does not call his followers to a life of comfort or excess. Although he does provide us with good gifts at times, he's given us this great space to meet in. He's given us heat, which I'm actually hot because I've been hitting the drums here, so I'm actually burning up. You all probably feel pretty good, but I had a little workout this morning. Um, but if you aren't occasionally uncomfortable, inconvenienced, or persecuted, I fear you may not be truly following Christ after all. We should experience, he says, when you are persecuted, when you are tested, when you are tried. Moving on to verse 4, and whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. They were not to be looking for the best accommodations in the city, looking for the greener grass in the house next door. Well, they've got running water. <laughs> you know, they, they've got this. They've got more money. Let's, 
I know these people have been nice to me. They've been hospital, but I'm going to jump over here. They were to go through the door that the Holy Spirit opened for them, literally and figuratively, both. And they were to stay there until what? The Holy Spirit moved them on. That's how we are to go throughout our lives as well. Sadly, some pastors view church as the corporate ladder, and they, they're not fully present in the church they're a part of. They, they, they go through the motions, but, but what they want is more. They want more money. They want more power. They want more influence. They want more people under them. Ministers of the gospel are not to be like this. Christ may move a pastor, absolutely. He can do what he wants to do. He is sovereign. But pastors should serve the Lord and not themselves. We should be not self-seeking for our own kingdom, but instead be about the gospel and the kingdom of God. We're not building our own kingdom. Church attenders are not immune to this issue as well. Many see church with a consumeristic mindset. It's, it's there to serve them, and they hop from church to church to church to see what meets their wants. We should absolutely look for a church that meets our needs, though. So don't miss this. We have, but sometimes we get our needs and our, our wants mixed up of what that really looks like. The needs for us regarding a church are having the Word of God biblically exposited and preached. A, a fellowship of believers dedicated to both evangelism and discipleship. Biblical, right? Matthew 28. And we also need a biblical community and fellowship united by both grace and truth. Not just one. If it's just grace, not the church for you. If it's just truth without grace, it's not the church for you. That's called legalism. You, you have liberalism and legalism. They're both off the rails. You want grace and truth. You want someone to love you enough to call out your sin, but love you enough to call it out in a loving way to where they're there saying, hey, how can I help you through that? This also speaks to the importance of church membership. Uh, we need to be all in where God has us. We need to covenant with one another as long as the Lord has us in a certain place. We don't attend church waiting for a better one to open up that we might be able to go to. We, we are to serve church and get, serve the church we're at and get involved where the Lord, where the Holy Spirit directs and guides us. Not where we want to go, but where He wants us to go. And service of the church and commitment to the church is expected by Christ, as Acts 2, 242 states. Moving on, we get to an extremely difficult verse. Not that the other ones haven't been hard as well, but verse 5 and wherever they do not receive you, leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Biblical times, shaking off the dust off your feet was a sign of contempt, uh, great contempt. Uh, it was actually thought by the Jews that when they went to Gentile lands and they brought the dust back, that that dust was inherently unclean because the Gentiles were unclean. So when they would come back to the gate of their village, they would shake the dust off and then walk in because they didn't want anything unclean coming in. Matthew explains this a little further in a really tough way in Matthew 10, 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. That's that town that refuses to repent, that refuses to accept my disciples. Jesus states that the towns that refuse to welcome his disciples that he's sending will be judged even more harshly than Sodom and Gomorrah. If you recall from Genesis 19, 23 through 29, that's a scary, scary thing. If you recall, fire and sulfur burn rain down from heaven, thrown by God to destroy those two towns and everyone in them. Jesus speaks to a future judgment on these people that would be a literal hell that would last for eternity if they 
rejected the gospel. And this judgment continues even into today. Those who reject the gospel face a literal hell, a literal forever, and apart from God, and in I can't even describe how awful it will be. But praise God, there is a gospel. That there is a deliverance from that judgment. And we see in Luke 6, And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The good news of the gospel is that if you repent, if you turn away from your sins, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you will be saved. We who are followers of Jesus Christ are charged to tell others the good news of the gospel. The gospel that sets people free from the chains of sin and death. And friends, there is nothing more hate-filled than knowing the way of salvation and not telling others about it. I pray that that sits on you for a minute. There's nothing more hate-filled than knowing salvation exists and not sharing it with someone else. No, it is not hate-filled to tell someone, if you do not come to Christ, you're going to go to hell. No, that actually is loving. And I know the world will think, oh, well, they're closed-minded, they're narrow-minded, they, they, they hate me. No, if they truly understand where you're coming from, they know that you love them because you don't want to see them there. You want to see them saved. You want to see them living an abundant life on this side of eternity as well, living in freedom. He whom the sun, sun sets free is free indeed. We are charged to tell others, go forth and preach the gospel, my friends. Next we see followers of Christ are sent out to confound the world to confound the world. Let's read verses nine through, or 7 through 9 again. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had, had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. The gospel of Jesus Christ has a way of confounding or perplexing or confusing the world. The amazing works of Jesus Christ have a way of confusing the lost. The free gift of eternal life has a way of confounding the lost. Herod is completely confused at this point. He's like, what is going on with this Jesus guy? I thought that I had a handle on this movement, and all of a sudden, all this stuff's happening. Demons are being cast out. People are being healed. And we're actually told here, uh, or if we look back at rulers under this time, they were usually very paranoid. Because there were a lot of assassinations of leaders back then. And so they were always looking, trying to keep their finger on the pulse of their, their surrounding area. They wanted to make sure that, that they knew exactly what was going on. There were no uh, uprisings somewhere. They, have to, they had to hold things down. And so John had challenged the actions of Herod. Herod married his brother's wife, and John called that out. And so he ends up in prison and eventually beheaded. He didn't want to miss what was going on. And now Jesus was really confusing him. I thought I had a handle on that faction, and here this guy is. We're told that he sought to see Jesus, but we must understand that he was not a true seeker of Jesus. He, he sought to see Jesus so he could research and possibly neutralize the threat. We see this played out later in Luke's gospel, Luke 13, 31, and at that very hour, some Pharisees came and told him, which I think it's funny the Pharisees tell him this, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. Herod wasn't a true seeker. You see, Herod would actually not see Jesus because of that. It wasn't Jesus' time until right before his crucifixion. In Luke 23, 7 through 11, we see his first and final encounter with Christ is a negative one. He ends up really disappointed because Jesus won't do any tricks for him. He, he just sits, stands there silent, and he won't do what he wants him to do, and so he mocks him along with his soldiers and sends him back to Pilate. His wanting to see Jesus was nothing more than wanting to see a possible threat to his kingdom. 
He was just confused about who Jesus was and sought to understand more about him. My friends, a lot of people today are like that. They, they want to know who Jesus is. I use that air quotes that may, maybe those who hear and don't see don't understand what I'm saying. But they, they want to see Jesus, but they don't really want to. They want to know how they can fight against Christians. They want to know how they can persuade Christians to maybe quit believing, those kind of things. Our world under, struggles to understand and believe in a God that would humble himself in a world of pride. Why would God humble himself in the form of a baby, be, take on human flesh and bones when he is eternal, live a sinless life, die on the cross, suffer that, and raise from the dead three days later? Our world has a hard time believing in a God who created everything with just the word of his mouth. Our world has a hard time believing in a God that has the power to grant eternal life and eternal death. Brothers and sisters, are you confounded by Jesus Christ? Are you perplexed and confused by his gospel? Has it been revealed to you? Those who seek God do not really seek after him, to know him. They may be seeking something selfishly that can benefit themselves. I know some of you are like, wait a minute, what do you, what do you mean? I know this is a direct attack on the seeker-sensitive movement. It, you know, make things flash, you do this, and people will, will come in. Those are not really seeking after God. They may be seeking an experience. They're not seeking after the true God because God seeks us. Romans 3, 10 through 11 says, As it is written, no one is righteous. No, no one. No one understands. No one, what? Seeks for God. We do not seek God. God seeks us. How amazing is that? This is extremely important for us as believers who are called to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world and to understand our own salvation as well, that we bring nothing and no one else brings anything to the table when it comes to this. Only God seeks a lost man. God is a seeker of man. Praise God for that. John 6, Jesus actually explains this. No one can come to me unless what? The Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. God draws people to himself, my friends. You can't save anybody, and I think that's why a lot of people really struggle with evangelism, and, and they go out, and they share, and they share, and then nothing happens, and they just are like, I'm bad at this. I'm just not any good at sharing the gospel. It's because I'm not articulate enough. I don't know enough. I haven't studied enough. Maybe I need to go to seminary. Maybe I need to take some classes on how to share my faith because uh, I'm just not seeing the results that so-and-so is seeing or, or this church is seeing or this is. It's, it's not about us. The only thing about us, we're just called to be his mouthpiece. We're to share the gospel, but God seeks and saves the lost. If someone gets saved, it's not because you were that good. I mean, I, I've, I tell people all the time, I've heard some of the worst messages of my life that I'm like, I, I don't even know if I understand the gospel, is what they just said, and somebody goes forward. And I'm like, what just happened? Like, I have no idea what they even said. I've seen other times, I've seen, heard the best articulated gospel. I mean, just pristine. I almost wanted to get resaved if that was possible. It's not, but, but, but I was like, man, I'm about to go forward. That was great, and not one soul goes forward because we don't seek God. God seeks us. We, we have to respond to that seeking. And that, and that is where the, the preached word needs to come, the spoken word, the gospel being put out there. We're to be the hands and feet of Christ and the mouthpiece of Christ to share the way of true life, of, of eternal life. As we do that, though, it will confound or confuse many. But despite that, I pray that you continue to pray that hearts are changed, that lives are changed. Continue to preach the gospel even when people turn deaf ears to it, even if they're vehemently opposed to it. 
we are to go forth and preach it anyway. And we preach the whole gospel, not just part. And that is why we as followers of Christ are sent out to change the world. That brings us to our last point, to change the world. Luke 9, 10 says this, On the return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Can you imagine the stories told in these two short sentences, this one verse? Now we read over it, but can you imagine like, Jesus, guess what? This demon said this, and this happened, this, and we threw him out, and this person, man, they had, they've been sick all their lives, and they were walking again. I mean, this is amazing, amazing. All these people, this whole town got saved, and you know, we saw these people come to a saving knowledge of you. We got to do all these cool things. I mean, I'm sure they were ecstatic. I know for me, if I see someone saved, man, I am so happy. I am so ecstatic, and they saw some really cool stuff happening, because with each successive person changed by Christ, the world is changed by Christ. If we want to see our world change for the better, it's not political reform that's going to do it. Uh, it's not education that's going to do it. It's not law reform that's going to do it. God can certainly use these things to help restrain evil by his common grace. Praise the Lord. But if we really want to see our world change, it starts with one heart at a time, one life at a time. We are sent out as followers of Jesus Christ to change the world by preaching the gospel to the lost. It is that simple still. Verse 10 ends with a move from Jesus to withdraw and decompress a bit. Mark, Mark 6, 30-32 uh, lets us know that they went to a desolate place near Bethsaida. Both he and his disciples needed to rest. Jesus understands that we have rhythms that are needed in our lives. We can't just keep going, 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 going. I've had to learn this myself as well. We are a go, go, go society. There's, we're just following the flashing lights, everything around us. Cell phones, television, video games, sports, activities, entertainment, all of it captivates us and draws us, draws us to it. When was the last time, though, for you that you were still before the Lord? Just still, relaxing, listening to the Lord, pre pray, reading His Word, meditating on it, spending quiet time with the Lord. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. For my anti-electronic friends in our congregation, the word devices is not literally electronics. Um, although they can be very evil, and there's a lot of evil things that would not be the right hermeneutical approach to this. I know there's somebody that wants to carry that verse and say, evil devices, man who carries out evil devices, devices are evil. Um, they can be used very evil, and so be careful. We were talking about that a little bit in growth group today as well. But, but those who are still before the Lord are given peace even in the midst of a dark and evil world. When we spend time with the Lord in prayer, we're able to obey what Peter urges to do in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Those who rest in the Lord are able to live an abundant life. They're able to think beyond themselves. What happens is when we get into this rat race of life and we're doing this, 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 we start becoming very self-absorbed. I have to be here. Oh, and then I've got to be here. And then I've got to do that. And all your sentences start with what? The pronoun I or we, you know, our family. We have to be here. We have to be. But what, who are you not focused on? They and you, others. And, and it can be so choking to our spiritual life. Uh, we're not focused on God and we're not focused on others. We're focused on what we have to do and we have no margin to do anything for anyone else, to think about anyone else, to look beyond our own selfishness, our own lives. And we have to leave that margin 
in our lives. And we have to intentionally plan. It doesn't just happen. Your calendar has to say rest time. I, I was reading a book where uh, there was a certain pastor and he had a lot going on and he would actually schedule a meeting with God at like 3 p.m. And he was religious about it. If somebody was like, oh, can we meet at 3.30? No, I have a meeting. Got a meeting, 3 to 4, it's a meeting. And he never told anybody what it was, but it was on his calendar and nobody knew who he was meeting with. He was meeting with God. And he was like, I'm going to give God that hour in the middle of my day Make sure I do that. Whatever it takes, you have to schedule it. Isaiah 26.3 says this, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is what? Stayed on you, because he trusts in you. If you want to be able to minister unto the Lord for the long haul, you want to be able to persevere in the faith, we must keep our minds stayed on Christ. We must trust him and cast our cares upon him. We must have our quiet times and our meditation over the word. I, I'm going to give just a quick, treat, a quick treatment here on meditation. Meditation is not yoga. It's not emptying your mind of all your thoughts because guess what? Satan throws bad ones in. Like that's not what you want to do. Meditation, Christian meditation isn't emptying your mind and reaching a higher echelon or higher being. No, emptying your mind or, or meditation is reading the word and spending time digesting it. Letting it, okay, Lord, here's, you want to hear God speak to you? Read his Bible. Read the Bible. This is, this is the Word of God. We don't call it the Word of God just to say it's the Word of God. No, it is God speaking to you in all of your situations, living and active. You're like, well, it doesn't look really living and active. Well, meditate on it for a while, and you'll see God use it. You want to know what God thinks about a certain situation? Read His Word. He will open up different doors, and it, read some verses. If that doesn't, you know, that doesn't really hit it, then read some more verses, and God, then just spend some time thinking on them, and God will use that to change you from the inside out but we have to schedule that time along with God. We must make it a priority to drown out the world. We must be sure that God is constantly changing our own hearts and molding us into his image if we're going to make a difference in this world. My friends, as we preach the gospel to a lost world, come to a close here, I pray that you, you charge the world to repent and turn to Jesus. I pray that you encounter people who, as you encounter people who are confused or confounded, perplexed by the word of God, that you continue to lovingly pray for them to be persuaded by the truth of the gospel, be sought out by God, and respond to that saving grace that God offers. And I pray that you preach the gospel to person by person, and that the world is changed one life at a time. My friends, we have been sent out. Go and watch the gospel change the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be your sent out ones, your little A apostles. Sometimes we think that, okay, well, that's the job for the pastor, or that's the job for someone called into full-time ministry, or it's a job for someone who's a super Christian. But God, no, it's, it's, this is a command to everyone, even children who are saved. Sometimes, oh, I'm just a kid, I can't. No, you're actually sometimes some of the best evangelists because when we reach children, uh, they're, they're, they're even more likely to humble themselves because they realize that they're not all like they're not able to even drive they're not able to do different things and so they realize they have to be humble in a way because they're humbled each day and so they're able to to humble themselves a little bit more easily than us as adults we start to think that we are a pretty big deal as we get older we start to think that we have it together that our minds are sharper than other people's minds that our ways are higher than god's ways that god probably doesn't even exist because we must be god and it becomes so much harder for someone who's older to be saved. But God, we thank you so much that, that you can still seek and save the lost, no matter what age they are. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that has not responded to the, to the gospel, 
and they're just feeling that tug and the Holy Spirit's hitting them right now, God, I pray that today is the day of salvation, that they humble themselves and repent or turn away from their sins and turn toward you for salvation. If that's you and you know that you're not saved, you, you, maybe you've played the game, maybe you've thought you are, maybe this is the first time you've actually heard the gospel preached clearly to where you understood it, that God has opened up your mind. The Holy Spirit illuminates the scripture, like shines a light on it so that we understand it. And sometimes that's that light bulb moment that we call it. And if that's you and you're like, man, yeah, I, I'm not saved. I'd love to. I'd love to talk to you after the service and tell you what it means to follow Jesus Christ. For those of you who are saved, may you go and preach the gospel to a lost world. As we saw, those who are who reject the gospel, those who, who do not know you, will be worse for Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord, we pray that, that, that we are your hands and feet sharing the gospel to the, to the lost. Lord, be with us, empower us, walk with us, help us to rest in you, and do all of this work, not by our own abilities. We don't have the ability. We have to be plugged into you. We don't just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and keep going. No, we spend time, quiet time in you, plugging into you, staying plugged into you throughout our lives. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and thank you. And amen. Hallelujah. Death is undone. Hallelujah. Jesus has won.